0: Welcome to the in Vino Fab podcast. I'm Laura.
1: And I'm Patrice.
0: InVinoFabulum means in wine story, and there are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities, paired with wine, of course. The in Vino Fab pod is a place to learn and a space to share stories about work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts. On this episode of in Vino Fab, I'm so excited to welcome Caroline Kuhn. She's a math teacher by trade with a long-standing experience in teaching all levels of education. In these years, her interests have been geared towards students' learning, their struggles, their needs, and their views. She is currently interested in what shapes students' reflexive engagement, their agency, with more sophisticated digital practices and ri- research-rich contexts. Another interest she has is understanding, from a critical perspective, how digital spaces are crafted, what shapes the construction of that space. Caroline is a senior lecturer at the School of Education at Bath Spa University. And she is leading a research project that aims at designing and implementing an OER, it's Open Educational Resources, to support educators in improving their critical data literacies. So much is needed in an increasingly data-driven society, so this research is really important. I hope you enjoy our candid conversation as Caroline shares a wealth of her knowledge and her personal experiences and what it means to transition from her life in Venezuela to Spain to England and what it means to think about her multiple identities as a woman in the world today. Welcome to the pod.
1: Uh, Thank you. I'm also very thrilled to talk about life and identity and and all of what it will take.
0: I'm excited too. I know that we've been connected for a little while online and just based on some of your work, I was so thrilled that you'd come and talk because you're at an interesting kind of passage in your own life and career right now. And uh, for our listeners, Caroline is submitted her thesis or dissertation, and she's coming to the end of a PhD. And I thought we we're going to talk about transitions, but you've had multiple transitions in your life, Caroline. So let's just talk about that. Your life is in transition always.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It, and it, and um, yeah, it is. So what, I'd, I'll start from the beginning of a transition that happened to me quite, um, I think, yeah strong and dramatic but um nevertheless it it was manageable so when I was a five year old girl, I knew already that I wanted to be a medical doctor that was in me, and it was and that identity of becoming a medical doctor stayed with me in my homeworks in my chosen subjects in the prizes I won at school, in you know all the work I did in biology in I was really. A-star. I loved it. And then, um, and I never, ever, in my entire 13 years of high school, never, ever changed my mind. Never. I did volunteer work in hospital, volunteer work with uh, children in poor areas. I did my, my um, we do in Venezuela a dissertation, a high school dissertation. Mm-hmm. I did it about um, young girls' abortion in Venezuela. It's very common because... Um, I think sexuality in Venezuela is started at a very young age, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Venezuela has these um, big favelas, as in Brazil, these you know slums or and and there I think sexuality is is started at a very young age. And so I was very interested in how young girls. What's the struggle when they are pregnant, when they're 15 or 14? And, and, you know, so I did an abortion is, of course, something that, you know, is a, is a, is a choice um, that you, I mean, a choice. You do it because sometimes you just have to. And so I loved my time at the hospital. Well, so I then, in Venezuela, um, you study medicine in a public university, which is quite oversubscribed. And so I enrolled, had to wait for a year. I didn't ma- it didn't matter. I, so then I started to do my tutoring in math, chemistry and physics. So I didn't forget all of that, right? Um, and then the next year I enrolled again. And, um, and then I got, um, so I got my place at the university and I started to study. And in the study, in the meantime, so when I was studying the first year, um, I got pregnant of my first son. And in that process, when I was, you know, confronted with this big decision, wow, I'm pregnant, and I'm doing this really intense, deep, um, and I, I always attached a lot of responsibility to a doctor because I thought, wow, you, you know, you, you have this huge responsibility of a diagnosis or. And then I decided, you know, I can't do these two things. They're too big for me. And so I decided, because I had many things on my side, I'm going to be a mom. And I, then at the time I said, well, you know, I can always retake my um, my studies. Um, and then, you know, that was a huge change of identity because I was really positioned in this identity of, A, a student, but second, Uh, uh, you know, a potential medical doctor, which I envisioned since I'm five years old. So that, that really change of identity because it was a massive change of identity. And at the time I chose the mom identity because I thought, you know, this is the one, I had a call also. I had this inside feeling of this is the call I have. Um, Well, and then I decided to just go for a family before, you know, I, I thought, I think it's more coherent to have family and then. But then life just goes on and it happens. And then so I became a mathematics teacher because I thought I'm tutoring for so long. You know, I was already, I think, 30, I don't know, two or something like that when I had my three children. Then I said, no, you know what? I'm going to study what I have been doing for all of these years. And I started to study to become a math teacher. And that's what I did. But um, to do a big jump.
0: um, Before you jump, I want to ask, because I think it's not uncommon that when we're younger, we think that it's a this or that choice, right? So you made that choice to say, you know, I can't do this really well, being a doctor, a physician, and this, because that's just maybe wasn't seen. I felt the same way as you at one point in my life. Um, It was with being a lawyer in a certain law field that I wanted to get into. I was like, I don't think I can have it all and do it really well. And so... And I think, yeah,
1: it's the only thing in my, I'm 53, in my 53 years that I, and really it's the only thing I would do different. I would not do and and or, I would do both. Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I think what, what, what is, what I have learned is that we don't need to have it all. We can be a mom and we can, I can be a mom and I can be a physician. Maybe. I'm not the best physician or the best mom or the most, you know, um, committed in everything. No, but I have both. And I think that's a thing I learned. Um, And yeah, so, but what I wanted to say is I, I of course then had this huge identity of mom, family, um, you know, a wife, a mom, and a housewife, you say? So I had my house in my, and of course I was doing teaching, but to be very honest, I think the teaching is, and I, I, I taught in the school where my kids went. So again, it was an extension of my identity, to be honest. You know, I I was there um, as well as a teacher, but I think I was a teacher and a mom, and it was, they were quite, you know, quite the same size, if if that makes sense um, then, um, I, you know, along many years, I was very different than my husband. Intellectually, I I was very curious. I was very, um, on, do you say unsettled or, or restless? I was always, you know, always, it's always in me, something happening in my head, in my mind. And I'm always wanting to do something new and I have ideas. And, you know, I realized that I was kind of very different than he was. And I, I was, at a point where I realized we just can't grow together, it's impossible and to make a long story short, um I decided when in two thousand well i i i I was able to do it and materialize it in two thousand and nine I decided I, I this marriage is really not conducive to any growth, nor I'm not helping to grow. that he grows and I'm not growing on his side. So I made this decision, but being a mom of three children, it was a very difficult decision because, and I also think I was very puzzled about who I am. And I thought, you know, I am not only a mom and I'm not only a wife. And I, I know that I am someone that has a huge desire to do, to have an imprint or imprint or impact in the social sphere where I live, and so I, you know, I, I kind of said well, at the time I was, um, I was doing a PhD at the university where I worked because I then changed. So I did become a teacher. Um, I worked at a school, and then I went to do a master's in a university, and there I stayed to work. And there I started to do the PhD, and I realized that that was really my passion. It was about learning. It was about you know. Um, creating ideas and well and then so I decided to get divorced, and I also decided that i my country, Venezuela, where I am from, was at the moment also in a horrible political um, i don 't know how you say juncture tra- drama you know revolution, whatever it was really all falling apart particularly at the university where I was working, which was a public, um, very good university, it was falling apart. We were being threatened by the government, no money, da 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 So I also knew that I am someone that wants to live from my profession, which is doing research and teaching, and this wasn't possible. As a divorced woman in a country where your salary is worth nothing, and where I am not someone that is, you know, I don't know, an entrepreneur and businesswoman is not my idea that I didn't want. So I started to think about, well, who am I? You know, who am I? What do I want? What? And I, and I said, well, I know I want to become a researcher. I know that. But what do I do with the rest of my idea? What do I do with my mom, me, my me as a mom? What do I do? You know, where do I put all of that? And and I think it was really very convoluted for me i had a you know you say um how do you say when you have a uh, in the ocean something like when the water we're we're all you know when the water goes like War- round and, off, like and i felt like i was in such a thing and um so then i went so i decided to
0: go to europe before you share your next chapter i just want to pause to talk about a couple of things you just shared Everything you just said, um, because I I know Venezuela compared to other Latin American countries, it's very familia-based. It's very um, traditional in some ways. Um, There is a culture of religion. There's a culture of expectation for uh, the role of women in some spaces and places. And being a mom, you were very committed. And you were committed probably to your teaching, knowing you and I know you. Um, So how challenging was that like you just kind of you revolted yourself you uprooted yourself first off Um, how was that for you to go through some of those experiences
1: well um it was really tough it was very 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 difficult I have to say um and I think this is something that I think is worth telling here because I think it has a lot to do with my identity um in my original plan my daughter, who was 15 at the time, she was with me. So that's why I decided to go to Spain um, because she was coming with me and she didn't want Germany. So my parents are German. I speak German and German was an option for me. But she said, forget it, mom. I don't speak German. So I decided to go to Spain. But then at the very end, very near in November, and I was leaving in April 2011. So in November 2010, suddenly um, she said to me, mom, I'm not going with you. I'm going to stay with my dad. Um, because you know, I think I have the same rights as my brother. She's the youngest, and she's five and seven years younger than her brothers. And she said, "Well, you know, I want the same thing my brothers had." And we were middle class, I would say high, so quite you know very. Do you say well off? So we had we were very comfortable economically. And, um, um, you know, I'm not going to, why do I have to go to Europe to a little, you know, a little flat, a little room? No, no, I'm going to stay. And that was the most devastating thing that ever happened to me. Ever, 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 ever. Um, and I, I really took the time. Um, and the time was two weeks, imagine, uh, to really think deeply and touch my inner kind of fiber to really hear my inner voice what do I need what do I need Mm -hmm. Um, and I went back to that decision of not being a physician and this and or and I said I can't do this again because I know it's not right and I need to be able to combine and if her decision is to stay which I'm not I don't think it's the right decision because I think she would have been better with me because for many reasons But I can't force her, but I can't force myself either to stay here because this is not what I want. I love her to pieces, but I I don't want to stay here because also I think that my life, I was, you know, the time when I always say to her, you were too young and I was not too old, but in that age where either I make that decision and I'm almost at the verge of not being on time or I was forty four I think at the time, and you know I said to her i don't have I don't have that time and I won't have the opportunity again and um you know i I need really to 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 do what I feel I want to do and this is what my call is to become a professional i I really want to go and i and it, it this it this it I can't tell you what it was devastation destruction um you know i i don 't but I, I I was so sure that what I had to do was l- take care of me and and really reconstruct myself in order to be a, also a better mom for her and yes. I think that was the the real call of my identity change in a way. I wasn't losing the motherhood or the mother identity, but I was gaining or I was wanting to reconstruct my professional identity. And and sometimes, you know, you, you could take this as either or, as you said at the beginning, but it wasn't. Right. It was for me, I am going, you're welcome always if you want to join and there will be always a place for you. And I always had a bed for her, although she didn't stay in the bed, but there was always a bed for her. And... And I feel, you know, after ten years I made the right decision. I think it was the right thing to do. It was it was very hard. I think it was very, very, very painful for both of us, I have to say. Um, not only for me. I mean she it was very hard for both of us. I, I think but I, I I do not regret. I think I It was the toughest choice, but it was the right choice, I think. Now that I can see hindsight and I can see who I am now and who she is now as well, I think it was the right choice.
0: Those hard decisions are so wrenching, right? They're gripping, they're emotional. um, And it's something that I, I often think about we give probably our best friends the advice we we should take instead of taking it ourselves and so really thinking about the what do you want and how do you want to build onto your identity is really and powerful thing that I really appreciate you sharing, Caroline, because I think many of our listeners are thinking about their own self and we cannot wrap our personal and professional identities. Like you can't unpack them. They're woven together. And um, hearing that touch point of you expressing that hard decision, because I know that some of our listeners are out there thinking about these Things that they're contemplating in their own personal and professional lives, and they are wrapped together. So I, I do appreciate you saying that.
1: And you know, one thing I always thought when I was kind of in the struggle. So I can't believe I have cared for my three children. My oldest at the time was twenty-two. The other one was twenty, and she was fifteen. And I can't believe that I, I'm you know, I'm not able to take this decision for myself or to mm-hmm. care for myself. And I think very clunky because I wasn't. Um, it wasn't a straight line, and, and it was a cl- it was, I was clunky while I was saying, I need to go and I need to pursue my life. But I was so certain that that was what I had to do. And I loved her to pieces every second and every day of that time. Um, and I never lost contact, you know, I always wrote every day, although I didn't get anything back. Um, you know, I, it was very difficult years. Um, I think we're only healing our wounds now. If if I'm very honest, um, it took a lot of time, and she coming to Europe and living with me. And I think that now, after five years living together, we are starting. She particularly more than me because I have done the work more. I would say I was older, so I was doing this inner work always. It, I believe in 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 our you know looking inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I the only thing I really can say to listeners out there is 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 the hardest decision are the best ones, and I think they are the ones that really make that's how you flourish enduring that struggle um, and finding resources to stay you know to stay up and and to and, and also to stand up once you fall because I think you I was more on the floor than standing up for the first five years of my you know of my life in Europe, but um I knew. I knew that this was the right choice and I knew the PhD was for me the journey that I had to, you know, to just kind of walk with it and not abandon it. So yeah, I think there are hard, but they are the ones that really um yeah, they they allow you to flourish, I think, or, you know, to to yeah, to fulfill your your yourself, I think too.
0: That message of resilience um, kind of resonated as I asked you to share a little bit about you have a bit of an ending coming up with your um, going to defend your thesis in the new year. And you said to me, and I love this before we hit record, uh, essentially, it's not just the outer work and the degree. I've been doing a lot of inner work. And I love that because it's part and parcel. You've taken your last six years of working on your PhD, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about that. Um, to do both is work through that process of who you are now. And I, you gave the analogy of becoming a butterfly. And I, I think that's brilliant.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the more I, you know, the older I, I get, um, the more I realize how for me to do anything well, it needs to come from within. I, I, you know, now I have no doubt. I was kind of you know, maybe 10 years ago, I'd say, well, I think I'm very honest and very transparent and very genuine, um, but I wasn't that sure as I am today. And the reason why I started to do more intense inner work in this cocoon, as you said, the butterfly, I did really, and and Laura is amazing. In 2011, I was in a bus going to visit a friend in Berlin. And the bus, I was there because I was incredibly poor at the time. Um, because one of the things also I think is worth saying here um, is that i the consequence of the divorce is I lost everything everything i i I was left without a penny um, and without any asset any nothing so um, but nevertheless, I was so sure that that the you know the inner freedom and and my inner self had no price whatsoever and and what is money if you are? you know if you're not able to flourish i was saying it you know so i went to visit this friend and in the boss i painted this butterfly um with lots of colors and and kind of lots of little dots and and i was just in the boss saying you know this is the journey for me i'm not here but here's where i want to be and i always had this butterfly with me um and so yeah, I, I, I think what I did with a PhD, and, and, and this is another anecdote <laughs> that is, is very relevant because I remember when, so I went to Madrid, didn't like it, and then I went to a summer school in the Netherlands where I was kind of, it, the University in Madrid invited me to, to kind of to participate there. So I went and I loved the Netherlands to pieces. I loved it at first sight. My parents are German. I also felt very much at home because the Netherlands, are still, they are warm, but they are Northern European. So, and they're straight, honest, um, you know, what they feel, what they think. That's what they tell you. So I loved it. And so I spent these two weeks there. And the Friday, the last day, I said, this is where I want to stay. I want to stay in the Netherlands. So I said to myself, well, what do I need? So I said, well, I need to talk to the director of the Freudental Institute because here is where I want to stay. So I said, who is the guy? And very funnily, he was the professor who gave me my last session on Friday after the two weeks. And the session was a session that was quite particular and I was very active. It was mathematics for blind people. And this guy, Jan van Manen, was, you know, brilliant. I mean, the session, he's his sensible approach to worrying what can i do for this student of mine who is blind to progress well so i didn't know who he was the, the director so i asked and said okay so i i knocked at his door and he wasn't there so i started to look for him in the corridors well where is professor Yamaman? and then suddenly i see him i said oh we were together this morning. Are you the director of? Yes. And said, oh, could you give me an interview? I, I need to talk to you. Would, you know, he was very friendly also, very, very sweet, very a wonderful human being. So I said, yes, of course. Um, could you come on Tuesday at 8.30? Great. I was there on Tuesday at 8.30. And I said to him, again, I'm going to make this very short. I said to him two things. I said to him, I want to become a researcher, a professional researcher. That's what I want to do. And, and so he said, oh, you want to do a PhD? And I said, yes, but let me tell you something. I'm not interested in the title. I'm not interested in the thing of the PhD. And he said to me, hey, 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 stop. I get that. But let me tell you that if you want to live from what you know, that needs to be in a paper so that people know what you know and what you do. And so I said to him, I, yeah, I get that. It's right. But I'm not here because of that. I'm here because of the journey of learning how to do research. And um, well, and so I asked him, can I work here? Can I do anything? Um, I don't care what it is. You know, I can sharpen your pen or doing some whatever, whatever is available. And again, you know, we had more than one conversation, but the, the answer was, yes, you can stay. I don't have any money to pay you for now, but you can have an email account and you can have a computer and you can start to do some kind of work here and we find out what we do. And so that was my starting kind of, um, <clears throat> of my journey of my PhD. I knew I, that's what I wanted. And so I started to, you know, look for a PhD and do all of that. And he came to Bath where I live. Because he gave a seminar in Baspa University, he's a teacher, mathematics teacher, historian, and when he came back, he um, he said to me, "Carolyn, there is an opportunity in Baspa for you to do your PhD." And I said, "Where? In Bath?" And I said, "Bath? That's not possible. That a, you know, can't be Bath and not the name of a town, <laughs> or a city." And I said, no, yes, Bath. Do you know but not so well?" I did my research and I said to him. Jan, I really don't care where Bath is. I'm gonna go because I need to do my PhD. I'm getting, you know, I was then 46, I think, or 45, and I said to him, "I don't have that time. You know what? I don't have the time. I'm just gonna go." Um, And so well, I took my airplane, packed my stuff, and well, came to Bath with uh, and sat there in the train station with my luggage. And I looked around. I said, "My God, here I am. You know, my journey is starting." and I never have been in England. Had been in England. Um, I didn't know anyone in Bath. Not not one. No one. Not no. What? One, not one soul. And I sat there in the bench in the train station, and I put my my butterfly out there, and I said, you know, I don't know anyone. I don't know nothing here. Uh, I was quite, you know, not scared, but I was quite wow, you know, ooh, <laughs> this is a thing. But I, I, yeah, I trusted so much that this is what I wanted to do. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't doubt. And I found them, yeah, yeah, so I did an interview with the paperwork, da-da-da. And then I got the place and I started the PhD in 2014. So that's six years already. And yeah, and then, you know, I always, my job, so my PhD was one thing but this inner process in me my cocoon my you know feeling how my body was changing and my my everything i mean i it was it was i think the best thing that ever has happened in my life i mean difficult hard tough i can tell you all the things i i endured but um yeah it has been wonderful i think consolidating this identity um And having, you know, being a mom because I always I'm going to be a mom, and I love to be a mom. I love my children, and you know, I enjoyed every second of being a mom. But this other space of myself, being a professional and having dreams that are only mine, that have nothing to do with my children, although I share them with them, and you know, we have a lot of, you know, we enjoy sharing, but they are my dreams, in a way, and they 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 don't depend on any other space of my life. If you wish, I think it has been really incredibly wonderful incredibly wonderful
0: it sounds like i think your journey for this phd started long before that train ride to bath but i will say (laughs) you and i were connected based on common interests you're looking at those informal digital learning spaces that bring learners to an institution a university or college and what challenges them and how do they engage and study and socialize i think is brilliant so i just want to call that out i really appreciate you sharing your personal story around what that journey is but it sounds like a lot of what you had been doing like you can't really get into some of the work that you're studying without self-examining you and um, I love that you are an open researcher and educator and open to share some of that with us today so thank you so much
1: oh it's a pleasure it's a pleasure
0: so As I think about other folks um, that they do go to this PhD as a title or the thing, um, I don't think this is the end for you. (laughs) Um, People are always like, oh, you have that thing now, you're done. And I was like, well, it's just the beginning of the process. And uh, I I know that you're still at Bath and working there. Um, What are some things you're hoping to craft into your role or what you do next? Like there's no rush to do um, another jump to a job. That's what some people might do. Um, but it sounds like you've got a great space to continue the research and teaching there. Yeah.
1: So I got a permanent job in January, which is lovely because I did part-time hourly paid since I began until um, January. Um, so I got a permanent job. So I'm there now a senior lecturer and I love teaching. is is something I really enjoy and it gives me a lot of, it energizes me. And I think it it makes me feel that I'm contributing to the life of others. So I'm kind of sparking curiosity and, you know, criticality and all of that. So I love that. But what this job has allowed me to explore is doing research. So I just apply because when you are a part-time hourly paid, it's difficult for you to apply for grants. Well, and I, I, was, I was just, I, I had not a headspace to do it. Um, so in April... I think, no, sorry, in February, although I was still finishing the PhD, I was kind of in the last push, but I saw an opportunity to apply for a grant and I was, I had already the post. So I thought, well, I have the post, I'm going to apply for the grant because the grant is going to start when I'm almost finishing the PhD. So it's a good timing. And if it's not a good timing, I'm going to make it a good timing. I said to (laughs) myself, So I went um, to workshop and um, it was really also a very a brilliant call. I applied and I got the grant, not me. Uh, so me, I'm, I'm the principal investigator, but I'm working with co-researchers that are also in the in, in space. So Javiera Atenas, who is um, also working in open policy, Leo Haveman, um, and then Juliana Rafagelli who works also in um, data literacy. So, it's not me only, but I, I kind of I am the per- because I wasn't in space in-, in the institution, so well, I did that. And so what we're doing there is we are creating um, designing, developing and piloting an open educational resource that promotes or facilitates, or, I don't know, supports educators to um, be versed in critical data literacies. Um, And what interests me here is the criticality of the literacy. So how it's about really the politics of the data, what we are scrutinizing or what we're thinking, how can we um, guide teachers to scrutinize the politics of data? Is it algorithms? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it, you know, datification in education? Is it the learning environment? Whatever it is. But how can you really interrogate that? How can you interrogate, for example, if you're working in the LMS, so the virtual learning environment? Can you interrogate, um, for example, that um, if students put their cards in the card reader, it goes to you know their profile and then so these things. Um, and what I um I'm very excited about the project is that I found four pilot institutions. Um, although they're not funded by the project, but they are very happy to participate so that they can also gain access to the open educational resource and the facilitation. And one of these institutions is uh, Tangasa University in Nairobi. And there I'm working with Judith Pett, who is also an open researcher who I admire and adore. She is a, a wonderful woman that has, you know, she has gone through, you can't believe what, this woman has gone through to get her degree, walking barefoot, sleeping in, you know, in in wherever the place is, uh, enduring so much to just really get her degree. And so we're working with her. And one of the things I'm really keen is we're putting together. So she is informing really what is the content of her pilot kind of chapter, we call it, And the idea is, for example, that we do some kind of critical pedagogy in the sense of, can we look into, for example, the students that she teaches are um, sustainable development students and can, for example, they interrogate how invisible is the data of rural communities. And I am so just kind of thinking that there is a possibility to spark some a little bit of you know change agency um yeah i don't know awareness looking into these structures that are so invisible um and so when that finishes i imagine there is so much that's going to open up that i don't know i don't imagine but i am already looking forward for that so what i really would like to go more towards is research I mean, it will inform teaching because, as I was saying um, to you before you hit record, it's lovely, I imagine, if you're able to create a module that is a product from your research project. And you can do, you know, you can do, for example, um, I don't know, um, some activities that are more reach-out activities and maybe you can do some community learning about data literacies. I don't know. But I think that the research, I have never done this professional research, and it's what I ask in the Freudental Institute, to, Yeah, and I said I want to do professional research, so I'm very excited that I am doing this, and and I'm I'm looking forward for the unexpected.
0: <laughs> I, I think evidence informed practice and in pedagogy is brilliant. So I'm glad you're doing this work with Judith, and I get to talk with her in some other areas. So I'm looking forward to hearing what comes about. And it sounds like you have always been a researcher. So whether it's the professionals in front of it or not, I, I don't doubt it but I think dedicating more of your time and crafting your role towards that I think will only inform how you teach um, because that's really what the purpose of of research is, is to inform better practice that's out there.
1: Yeah and I think also research allows you to so when you say inform practice not only the practice you do but the practice of other people so in this case it would be for example the practice of rural farmers And could you then, with what you then, you know, what you discover or what you uncover or what you research and what you find in that research, I think it. what I dream to do is that it really enhances the life of others. And it has been a lot of, um, you know, people are always very skeptic of doing research with um, how do you say, developed countries? So, so, for example, Nairobi or Kenya, which is, you know, is, is a developing country. But I, I find coming from Venezuela, knowing um, what it is to work with very little resources mm-hmm. um, and to not have necessarily the time to do research because you are just, you know, you are really working with very little I can't just feel more happy that there is any way I could involve Judith and that she can favor from the resource from the opportunity from the learning and she's informing the resource so I'm not using her in, in you know in a in a instrumental manner we are we are designing and we are shaping this together hearing what are the needs that she thinks these students have and so what is the reality that we can use in order to start our conversation so yeah i i am i just love it i really really love it and i hope yeah it it um that i'm able you know that some change happens from this i i i do hope that that happens
0: Well, I'll definitely have to have you and Judith on together to share about that in the future. Um, I do think, yeah, not being an outsider researcher, but working in partnership and collaboration is really um, the best way to get um, the knowledge you need and to impact a community. Because you can't just come in and impose some knowledge or idea or framework or study on someone else unless you are embedded in that process. That's so cool to hear.
1: what I have been realizing also is thinking about impact. Mm-hmm. How on earth will I know what is impact for a rural community or what is impact for students in the Tangasa University with a reality of Nairobi and Kenya in general that is incredibly different than the reality I have in the UK and also the reality I myself lived in Venezuela. So to, in order to measure impact, with some of the educators, it's easier. But if I measure impact with these students that are going to be part of this pilot, well, what does impact look like for you? And that's something I have to find out. So that, for example, has been an eye-opener for me because, you know, I think we make a lot of... A, I didn't realize really um, that I don't know what, what... You know, what will I ask to these students? What does change mean for them? What is... You know, what is important for them to change? I don't know. So all of that is just, you know, you grow with others, which I think is, yeah, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm really looking forward for the pilot and for things to unfold.
0: Okay, I'll have to have you two back then. Okay, so I'm going to do a rapid fire before we wrap up. And I appreciate, I'm going to share some of your links to what you do in research and how people can connect with you and maybe follow along that project. Um, but I'll do a rapid fire question is, What's your go-to wine or drink? Well, I love whiskey. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's great. That's welcome on here. So great. A good whiskey. Any, any, whiskey. Type, yeah. any type of whiskey open? Well,
1: I, you know, I started um, very, I think, very ignorant with whiskey. Venezuela is, um, I, yeah, I think I didn't have the opportunity there to have access to great whiskey as I have here. Um, so I love single malt um, whiskey and there is a particular one that I adore which is called Kaol Ayla <gasps> and they have um, a, how do you say different um, a, how do you say that what well, they get older so they have 12 years they have six and so of course the older it gets the better it is and I'm um, I never had access to the oldest one because I never had money. I was so poor that I never, you know, I never could afford it. But um, I haven't with all the lockdown and I got the job in January. So I haven't really been able to, but I'm looking forward to buy one that is old. And and I have a fantasy, a dream of going to a whiskey. Um, but I don't want a tour. I, I I don't like to be a tourist. I don't like it. I feel... But I feel I'm invading the space of others but I would love to have the ability to go to Scotland go to the islands and yeah and have a taste of wonderful whiskey and I'm sure I'm gonna find and I love yeah whiskey is for me wow and a good good rum which is also um you know Venezuela has wonderful sure. rum and a good rum is also wow it's a drink that is delicious
0: well whiskey wine good ones that age better. It's I think it's very parallel a metaphor for the women I know in my life. So good. (laughs) We only get better with age. Um yes. Is is there any particular story that's been resonating with you lately or in general that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Um well yes there is a story that I, I think it links into into what I was saying about identity and woman and so there was a call for a special issue that was related with education and feminism and I was very sad that I couldn't join because I really didn't know anything about feminism I had a kind of weird relationship with feminism again Venezuela the movement of feminism I was quite young at the time when that happened I think it was 10 or 12 and it was all about just you know going against men and I thought no 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 men are key in my life I you know I can't live without men so I was kind of not feeling this is feminism and so well I couldn't participate in that special issue and I felt like wow this is the community of the people I, I I relate to and I appreciate and I'm grateful and it's kind of my network and it's my family Laura because when you leave your country and I I didn't know a soul a soul imagine not one person and so the community of the open educational practices who are incredibly generous, they're my family. These people are the people that have really kind of, you know, held me and gave me their, you know, their, their friendship. And so, well, that happened. And I started to look at feminism and what can I read and where, you know, what. And there, I, I didn't kind of identify with a lot of what was out there. And I found Silvia Federici And I love her work because she looks at feminism from a really radical Marxist perspective. She's a very austere woman, and I'm also very austere. And I think austerity as a human being defines the things you identify with. Uh, And and so one of the things she says, and she did this movement of um, wages for housework in the 70s, and one of the things she says there is that women need to have a wage and they need to be social workers so i mean a worker in the system they need to have wages holidays you know all of pension um and they need to endure the struggle of their social class and i was thinking oh my god you know i can't believe this woman saying this and i you know i come from being a housewife of course not paid because that what you know you you you. and and I realized reading her work how I have been subtle how do you say subtlety or or in a subtle way very covert very nuanced this identity of a housewife and of a it was just there you know that was and you were grateful that you know your husband brought the money, and you would say, "No, well, imagine, yeah." And you, and you were being, you know, you do so much just thinking, no, and I don't earn any money, and of course, you know, and I, and you kind of think, you know, I do so the work of being a mom, being a, and had three children, not one, not two, three, and. So I'm reading her work and it's been enlightening for me. And together with her, I'm reading Nancy Fraser, who is, she works on social justice, but she also works on feminism. And um, so I think these two stories of these two women have allowed me to see that the personal is political. And I think this is a good closure for our, um, our, you know, I think the personal is political and the political is personal. And, 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 um, And I'm keen exploring all of that. And I hope that I am able to write something about feminism and and education.
0: I have additional authors to check out and I will check out uh, the Italian uh, Marxist, Sylvia. Uh, She sounds amazing. So thank you so much. Um, Final question before we wrap up. And I thank you for your time and sharing your story and telling us a little bit about um, all that you're thinking about and working on now is, I know we're both in lockdown. We're recording this um, mid-November. This might come out a little bit later, but we're both in lockdown where we live. Um, My state just locked down on Monday, and yours has been locked down for a little while. Um, What's bringing you joy these days?
1: Wow, that's a good question. Well, one is I love what I do. I love reading. I love, you know, um, researching. I love, that's one thing that brings me joy. The other thing that brings me a lot of joy is cooking. I love to cook. And I love my house, so um, I have flowers. I try always to get flowers as i can 't buy them. I just pick them if they are somewhere where i 'm walking um, and so I have always flowers in the house i do I cook for myself um, with time and slow cook, and I enjoy what I cook and then I have a lovely cup of wine for my food and And then I sit in my sofa and read Silvia Federici, for example. And, you know, I have joy in my, I love life. I think, you know, I am, I am, yeah, I have joy in being alive, I guess. And, and, um, yeah, and I I have joy in cooking and and, um, reading and just being grateful for what I have achieved (laughs) in these 10 years, I
0: think. Well, what more can we want? Well, I thank you for bringing me joy because these conversations are really fun for me and i love to catch up with... This is an excuse to get caught up with friends and new new yeah, friends to you. meet. So it's been great to chat with you, Caroline. Thank you so much. Thank for you,
1: time. Laura. Thank you so much. It has been lovely.
0: To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message or email at invenofabulum at gmail.com. Cheers.
1: Cheers.